0: Isn't it? so Regardless of what happens here in this this world, on this side of eternity, we know who wins. My 10-year-old said that last night as she was going to bed. Mom, we know who wins. He has the victory. I said, yes, yes, we do. I'm going to read right now from James again. I read there last week, but this week I'm going to jump ahead to chapter 4. This, <laughs> this cuts me. I hope you know I, I, I want to come here and, and learn and be pressed and, and changed, and I want the Lord to, to convict me of my sin. I just do. Um, I know that's your desire too, so I, I read this to myself, knowing that this is, this is his word piercing, piercing my heart right now. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely. But he gives more grace. He gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. posture thing, isn't it? It's a posture of our hearts before the Lord. It's hearing what Pastor Paul spoke last week of all of the idols that could be in our lives. Nothing's not nothing. Still a lot of the same things from the Old Testament, right? Cooper keeps reading his Action Bible and saying they're always worshiping idols. (laughs) Like, yes, buddy. We still are today so this morning as we sing this last song, asking God to reign in us, crying out for his life to revive us and his love to define us and his mercy to keep us blameless. It's who he is, it's what he promises, but it's the posture of our hearts to receive that, that grace and that mercy. Um, If you need to sit down, to pray this out, if you need to kneel here at the altars to pray this out, follow the posture of your heart that would allow you best to pray this song with true sincerity. May we be a changed people when we leave this place.
1: You thought of us before the world began to breathe. You knew our names before we came to be. So oh.
0: grant us Lord not to be anxious about earthly things but to love things heavenly and even now while we are placed among things that are passing away to hold fast to those that shall endure through Jesus Christ our Lord who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit one God Ever
2: and ever. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Um, as you may have noticed over the past few weeks, we're, we're kind of taking what was the next gen moment and we're kind of making a connection moment where we can kind of build connections all throughout the church. But uh, So some of that will, will still be generational stuff and some of it will be other aspects of the church. But this morning, as we do uh, seek to continue to make connections across the generations that are represented through our church, um, we're going to take just a few minutes to focus on prayer. Now, today is actually a focus day of prayer, and you may not have heard about it, um, but I want to introduce you to something called Bless Our Schools Sunday. Uh, So there is an organization called Moms in Prayer, and I know that This may shock you, but I'm not a mom, Um, but we believe that everybody can pray, right? You don't have to just be a mom. But there is an organization called Moms in Prayer, and uh, Moms in Prayer have set aside the third Sunday of every September as Bless Our Schools Sunday. Uh, Thousands of churches across the country are praying very specifically today for our schools uh, and to bless our schools. And so in just a few minutes, uh, we're just going to join together. Uh, in saying a prayer of blessing over our schools. Uh, but I also want to take just a minute to kind of remind you or, or introduce you maybe for the first time to a few different opportunities that we have uh, here in the church uh, to kind of focus on prayer. And so uh, I think there'll be some, yeah, there we go. So there we actually have three different uh, prayer groups, two that are already going and one that's getting ready to start. Uh, on Sunday mornings at eight, there's a ladies prayer group and they meet in, I don't remember the... Uh, room numbers, but one of the one of the Sunday school rooms down this hall here, the ladies meet at 8 a.m. for prayer. Uh, there's also a ladies' prayer group at Jody Springer's house on Tuesdays at 6.30, so if you need uh, Jody's address and you're interested in that, you can see one of us and we will get you that address. Uh, and then beginning October 3rd, there'll be a men's prayer group on Sunday mornings at 8.30, and I don't know exactly uh, where that'll be gathering, but uh, that'll be starting October Third, so just wanted to make you aware of kind of some of the opportunities that we have in our church uh, to focus on prayer, and then also there's just an opportunity to connect with the organization that I mentioned, Moms in Prayer. Uh, They have a website, momsinprayer.org. You can also see Jessica Walks, she's not in here this morning, but she is well connected to that organization, and she can kind of guide you and help you find things. And then lastly, back on the back tables, um, I put just, there's just half sheet handouts of kind of a template uh, of prayer for praying for our schools. So maybe you want to commit to praying for our schools throughout this school year. Grab one of those papers uh, and, and take that with you. Maybe put it in your Bible and, uh, and commit to prayer for our schools. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, this morning we pray a special blessing upon our schools. And every single person that is represented by our schools, students, teachers, staff, we pray that their faith in you and their identity as your beloved will remain strong throughout this school year. May that identity as your beloved be the root of all that they do. May your light that they bring to the schools drive out any darkness. Would your presence be very real to them so that they may have peace no matter their circumstance? We pray that as our students exercise their brains that you have given them, even through the seemingly monotonous tasks of the school day, that they would recognize it as a way to worship you, the creator of their brain. God, we pray for wisdom and discernment for those leading the school's We pray that efforts to bring chaos and disunity to our schools will be stopped. We pray for a community that seeks to uplift our schools and not tear them down. Finally, we pray that our schools would be a place filled with your presence. Not because of things that are taught or not taught. Not because of things that are allowed or not allowed. But because of us those who are a part of our church and the church as a whole in our community who are involved in our schools, who embody your presence, and that they have taken your presence with them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
3: You uh, know I pray for your schools and your students and your staff and your bus drivers and your administrators and all those involved in teaching your kids, not on Sunday morning, but I hope you continue to pray every day uh, for our kids as they go to school. Let me ask you, what, what is the center of your life? If, if somebody was going to look at your life, what, what is the center, the thing, the core, the foundation, what is the center of your life? Um, Terry and I, the other day, we were um, at Wits ice cream, Okay, I get an amen for Witt's ice cream, and uh, we're sitting there, and I get a text from Wyatt while we're eating the ice cream saying, man... I'm still amazed how quick dad eats ice cream. While, we're, while I'm finishing my ice cream, so we're looking around thinking, is Wyatt in town? We're trying to find out how he's spying on us and, and what's going on. It was just a coincidence. We eat ice cream so much uh, that we just get text out of the blue while we're eating ice cream. Um, as a matter of fact, Spencer thinks we're a bit off. And, uh, you know, we, we like ice cream. You know, what, what would your kids say the center of your life is? If your kids were to look at your life, what would they say the center of your life? What's the focus of your life? Many of you know that my older brother, Virgil, was a pastor and is a pastor. Pastored actually Art and Karen at Vandelia for a short time. And, and then he, he, he passed. And at Vandelia, while he was pastoring, his girls were little. He has three, three girls, Jenny, Julie, and Janelle. And, and um, Julie was the youngest, and, and they were getting ready to go off to, to revival, and, and Julie said, chuch, 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 that's all we do. <laughs> Anybody relate to that? Uh, you know, I kind of grew up that, church, 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 that's, that's all we did. We, our life was the center of our family life, and, and it's not not bad. There's worse things to be the center of your family's life than church, folks. Let me tell you, there is of fact, we had some contractors out at the house one time, and, and they, they were supposed to be adding an addition, and they, they took the roof off and then disappeared. You know, it wasn't good. And so good old dad had to go find them in the bars in Connersville, and, and their excuse was, well, your wife was having some sort of prayer meeting, and, and we didn't, she wasn't, but they knew that would fly. Okay? Church was the center of my family's life. In your wild, wide, wider circles, what would your friends say is the center of your life? If I, if I were to talk to your friends, what would they say you centered your life around? What, what about your neighbors? Would, would your neighbors say, "Well, their lawn, <laughs> their dog"? What would your neighbors say you center your life around? What, what about your coworkers? the people you work with. Would, would they understand? Because I, I believe if you're in here, you would say that God is the center of your life. Would, would your co-workers understand that your life is centered around God? Today we're going to talk about the center of core of life and, and what you center your life around matters. The core of your life matters. The foundation of your life matters. And, and you, I, I think you can use these terms interchangeably, or they, they're consistent, this idea of centering and coring and foundation. What you build your life on matters. Jesus says, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus is talking about sinners. He's talking about foundations. He's talking about the core of life. And and so we've been tracking the ideal of renewal or revival. Um, You know, I I believe the church... (laughs) I believe my family, I believe myself personally, I I believe I need renewal. Do you feel, I mean, I feel like the church needs renewal and revival. I just, I have this deep sense that God is trying to do something fresh and new in the church, and oftentimes we are caught up in peripheral things, things that really aren't core or central or foundation, and God is trying to return his people to focus on him. I believe that. And I believe if that can happen, then I believe there can be renewal in our community and revival in our community. And I believe it always begins here. And so we've been dealing with this ideal of revival and renewal through the lens of Josiah. Uh, Josiah is this... This king of the southern kingdom, this king of Judah, we've talked about this, we've traced this. There's Israel, there's the, Israel's one united kingdom, and then after Solomon is divided, and it's Israel, the northern kingdom, and Judah, the southern kingdom, which is centered around Jerusalem, and, and Israel, the northern kingdom, is sent into captivity, and all that's left is Judah, and Judah has ups and downs. It seems like Judah has more ups than Israel does, but, but Judah has ups and downs, and, and they're getting close. As a matter of fact, Josiah is their last significant king before they go into captivity as well. And, and so Josiah is this good king. In 2 Kings, it says there's, there's, there's no king like Josiah. He, kept, he, he sought God. He, he pursued the right things, he was like his father David. There's, there's no king like this Josiah. And so we've been tracking through his story in Second Chronicles 34. In the first, first two weeks of this series, we've been in 34 verses 1 through 3, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. In the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. So we we talked about how if we want renewal, we want revival, then God becomes the primary focus of what we're searching for, what we're looking for. In the twelfth year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, Asherah poles and idols. And then going through the scripture, he begins to go outside of Jerusalem and and eliminate idols. And and so last week, we talked about what he trusts. Who do you trust? do, do Do you trust God most? And so Josiah, these these idols represented other things that people trusted. They were just-in-case gods. And and Josiah begins to eliminate them because he wants Israel, he wants Judah to trust God and God alone. So what are you seeking? Who do you trust most? And then moving on in the passage to verse 8. In the 18th year of Josiah's reign to purify the land, And the temple, he sent Shaphan, son of Azulah, and Messiah, the ruler of the city, with Joah, the son of Johaz, the recorder, to repair the temple of the Lord his God. So so he begins this process. He's now 26 years old. And he begins this process of repairing the temple. Now, now now to understand the significance of this, we have to understand a little bit of the history of the, the temple. The, it begins there's not a temple to begin with with the children of Abraham, with Israel, but when they, after they come out of captivity, God invites them, encourages them, asks them to build a tabernacle. Now this tabernacle was portable, and this tabernacle went where they were. As a matter of fact, where the tabernacle would go, they would encamp around it. And the tabernacle represented the presence of God. And so for the community to go forward, they needed God to be in the center of their community. So, so when, when the, tip, the tabernacle would move, the people would move. Uh, eventually, they end up possessing the promised land, and they still utilize this tabernacle through, through the judges, through King Saul, And through King David And then eventually King David He wants to build God a temple in Jerusalem And God says no I'm not going to allow you to build a temple But I will allow your son Solomon To build a temple And so Solomon builds One of these wonders of the ancient world Solomon's temple I mean, full of gold, beautiful uh, treasures like we can't even begin to imagine. And he builds this marvelous temple to God. They, they dedicate it. It's, it's, it's something that they, they celebrate in. And this tabernacle and this temple represented to the people of Israel, to Judah, the very presence of God. When they saw that temple, this was the place they would go together because they believed that God was there. Now, can we understand something? God was, is not, never will be confined to a building or space or time, right? Right? You understand, we worship a God that is bigger than a temple or a tabernacle or the Holy of Holies. And so, you know, when the temple is, in the veil and the temple is torn in two from the top to the bottom, that's not because God is no longer confined. That's because God wants us to know that He's not confined to a place. God is not confined to this gathering. He's not confined to this space. Our God is not contained. And so it's important to understand that. But the perception of the people was that God was contained. In fact, oftentimes, God was confined or contained in Jerusalem, in in their worship services, in their religious activities, but their outside life, since God was at the temple, they didn't have to worry so much. They could put their ashra poles and their, their idols to bell, and they could do things their own way, because after all, God was at the temple. That was at the best. A- at the worst, they would simply forget and abandon the temple altogether. Um, matter of fact, that's what's going on in Josiah's time. They had forgotten the temple, and it was in disarray. They, they really weren't even doing the things they needed to be doing, and, and so the temple becomes abandoned and t- deteriorates. Um, you guys have read Haggai. Haggai's the prophet, and they, they come back out of captivity, and, and they build the walls. Nehemiah builds the walls, and then they're rebuilding the temple, and Haggai is this prophet uh, that's talking about rebuilding the temple, and he says, your, your homes are nice, Got, you got paneling on your walls at home. <laughs> I imagine it's better paneling that you can get at Lowe's now. But you have paneling on your walls at home and shag carpet. And God's house is in disarray, disrepair. So it was significant. It was something they needed to take care of because it represented the presence of God. So Josiah is not simply wanting to repair a building. This is not a government building. This is not something he just wants to repair for the purpose of repairing it, for appearance' sake. But he wants to return God to the center. See, at their best, God represented... The very center, the foundation of their life. And for renewal to come, revival to come to Israel, God needed to be at the center. When they were at their best, they were a theocracy. Which means that God was the dividing, the deciding force, the, the, the direction they would follow. And at their best they were that. God was at the center and they followed him wherever he led. And Josiah, understanding the significance of the temple, understanding the significance of its decline, understood that the return to the building would return God to a place where he was the center where he was the foundation. Okay, go back to the original question. What is the center of your life? Not not what you say the center is. You know, we fool ourselves all the time. I'll, I'll be honest, there's times I fool myself. And I'll say, oh, this is the center, and my actions speak louder than my words, right? You know, I I can say a healthy diet is the center of my life, but can I tell you, Wits wins every Friday at 8. It just does. And and so for that time, I mean, those those actions say, and, you know, this isn't about diet. You know, all that stuff, you can forget that. You know, we're talking about deeper things. I think that stuff's important. We're talking about deeper things. Our actions with regard to God and, and his importance in our life Is God the center? Is God the foundation? You you realize, and I think James does a very good job of speaking to this. God allows our actions to speak to his centrality, to whether he's the foundation or not. God, God, God God could say to us, hey, I want you just to step back. And I want you to look at how you're living your life, and this will tell you whether God is really the center or not. There's things in your life that that if God is the center, you will be doing, because God's the foundation, God's the center. I mean, a lot of it deals with relationships. It'd be so easy to be a Christian if it wasn't for all these people. Amen, right? You know, it's just me and God. Boy, we're good. But people sometimes mess it up. And so God says, when your feelings are hurt, when somebody does you wrong, and and some of you folks, people have done you really wrong. It's it's not been some misunderstanding. You've been done wrong. Anybody here ever really been done wrong? I've been done wrong. There's real hurts in your life. There's real hurts in my life. And God asks us, to take those real hurts that, that, that aren't easy to deal with. Some of them are deep cuts. God says, hey, if you want me to be the center of the foundation, I want you to take those deep hurts and begin this process of forgiveness, of letting go. If you want me to be the center, then I want you to let go of those hurts and begin to give them to me. Now, can I be clear here? This isn't always easy and always simple and always one step, right? If you've been hurt deeply, sometimes there's a process to this, and it takes some time. But, but, but are you on that process? Because if God is at the center, we're not hoarding and holding on to those things, but we're giving them to God. Understand the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. You know, reconciliation, I truly believe, is God's desire for all people. But but the reality is it begins in forgiveness, and and it takes two parties to reconcile. Forgiveness is not a transaction between you and another person. It's a transaction between you and God, where you say, God, this is yours, because you are the center of my life, and I want you to help me work through my feelings. What's the opposite. When we fail to forgive or begin the process, I think when we fail to forgive or at least begin the process, God is not at the center of our life, but our feelings are. I mean, isn't it great to feel sorry for yourself? You know, the truth is, if you don't feel sorry for yourself, no one else will, will, right? You know, can we all be grown up enough to admit that sometimes it just feels good to pout? Right? And we're putting that feeling of self-righteousness of betrayal, of why would they before our relationship with God. Pride. Pride is the essence of that. That it matters how I feel and what I want more than anything else. Finances. Tithing and generosity. You know, the, the tithe, generosity is a simple way, not not that God needs your money, God needs your heart. But the tithe is a simple way to say, God, you are at the center. Generosity is a way where we recognize that everything that we have, and you understand that the point of all this is not tithing, but the point of all this is generosity. That that what God does not want to create is a church full of tithers. That would be great, wouldn't it, Harold Green, if we had a church full of tithers? But that's not what God's trying to create. God's trying to create a church full of generosity, of generous people. And that's God at the center Then there's this hoarding, and I think at the center of that is self-sufficiency. You ever ever look at what you tithe and think what you could buy with it? If you've done it long enough, you have. Don't tell me you have it. (laughs) You know, that's self-sufficiency. Maybe even fear at the center, because if I give this, how will I make it? Serving. Serving. It puts God at the center. We don't serve to get pats on the back. We don't serve in our children's department. We don't, we don't serve on our praise team. I don't serve as a pastor. We don't serve in our loving teams. We don't serve on our prayer teams. We don't serve on any of these things, and any of the activities we do as a church, and any of these things that we do individually. We don't do these because we want pats on the back, Maybe because we believe God... Is at the center and I believe when we fail to serve what becomes most important is our time our own self-interest what we can get instead of what we can give gatherings you know God is present everywhere you can say amen that God is present everywhere I have experienced God in nature and and, and hikes, and, you know, I, I love being out just somewhere and experiencing God in that way, but there's something about the gatherings. There, there's an intentionality, there's an obedience in this moment. This is not the end of discipleship. If this is all of our discipleship, then we are felling I'll just tell you, we're failing. If this is the end of discipleship, it's not enough. But there is something that happens significantly in this place. And I think in the past, if you've been around the church long enough, 50 years ago we understood that more, didn't we? Can we just be honest enough to say we did? That we understood the significance of carving out time and joining God-seekers throughout history, throughout the world, on this day, together, today, and worship together. That, that it's an intentional act that we've taken to say, God, you are here, and I will gather with others. You're at the center of this place, and you are at the center of our life, and the center of of our community. See, see God, gives you, God gives you things you can do that can show that he's the center of your life. Now, you can do all those things and God not be the center of your life, but, but, I, but I, I, would be, I think I'm safe to say that when you refuse to do all those things, God can't be at the center of your life. Does that make sense? You know, just because you're doing them, you, know, you could be doing them all for the wrong reasons, but, but I can tell you if you're not doing them, if you're not forgiving, if you're not serving, if you're not giving, if you're not gathering, if you're not intentional in prayer, if you're not intentional in your Bible study, then God cannot be the center of your life. Those actions speak louder than our words. I'm going to ask Amy to come up uh, and play and sing. And I want to give us some space for a couple things. I I think God needs space to speak. Amen? I I want God to have space to speak. You know, I I think God speaks beyond this preacher. Praise the Lord, He does. God speaks beyond me and He's speaking to your heart. You know, there's things I've talked about, but there's things that you know in your life that just aren't right. Something's just off. The sinner's not right. So I want God to have space to speak. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's a place of service or giving or gathering. Maybe it's something in your Bible study, your prayer life. And and God's, you know, I'm not having to point it out. The Spirit is pointing it out. And you need to listen. The amazing thing about our God, the thing that blows me away every time, is God invites us to speak. This concept of prayer, that that this our Heavenly Father who knows all, who's all-powerful, who's beyond time and space, who could speak and say, just do it. No. I want to hear from you. And so it's in that dialogue. That place where God speaks and we speak, it's in that conversation, this invitation to conversation that that maybe today you can't quite figure it out, but you know something's wrong. The Spirit's saying, something's wrong. It's in that space of dialogue that God speaks. I love our altars. They're always available for you, anytime you wanna come to the altar, anytime you can. And until I find something better, and I haven't, I think the altars are significant. It's a good place just to say, God, I'm gonna respond to you. The temple was in disrepair. It needed repair. Are there areas of your life that need work today? I'm going to pray all heads bowed, all eyes closed. Amy's going to sing, and I just ask you to be obedient. Lord help us in these moments to listen to you.
1: Holiness. Holiness.
3: You want? Is it possible to lift a hand? To say, God, this is what I want. You know, I I want this conversation with you to continue. I don't want it to end. Lord, I want you to be the foundation, the center. Lord, help us. Help us to see and hear clearly. To to not be satisfied, Lord, with um, anything less. being the foundation, the center. And Lord, this simple song that we sing, may this be the prayer of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's sing this together as a prayer. that song be the way you respond as you leave this place today.